0: That's not what antibodies are for, Mom. You don't get them to have them if they're not like Pokemon.
1: Hi, I'm Abigail Baki, and this is TC Talk. I teach and research on the topics of techcom and medical writing, and I do this podcast with my non-academic partner, Benton. This episode is a little different because it's our first interview-based one. One of our goals with TC Talk is to help show that tech-com is not just a topic for academics, but that it makes a difference in people's everyday lives. So, when I heard that our friends Lindsay and David had enrolled their child in a COVID vaccine trial, and subsequently enrolled themselves in a trial, I wanted to hear about their experience. They were kind enough to talk with us about how they researched the vaccine, what it was like participating in a clinical trial, and why they would do it again. We can start with not official questions yet, just kind of warm-up. Sometimes it helps to start with something that's a little not like, "Tell me about yourself and what skills you bring to this company."
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> what would you say you do here?: <laughs>
1: <laughs> OK, so I asked Ben if he had any questions, and he had one, but it might be way too personal so
0: let's start with the personal one and then it'll be downhill from there
2: what is the most off the wall or bizarre thing that any of your
0: parents have said
2: about vaccines
0: i go first i know right off the top of my head (laughs) yeah go for it uh in the summer after the first wave and so we were visiting uh my brother for my birthday, actually, and uh, our
1: offspring number one
0: had gotten sick with a cold or something. We had had him COVID tested. Uh, we hadn't had the results back at the time. But I remember going down and I I made cooked all this food. I drop it off. I say, well,
1: offspring number one
0: sick. So uh, an abundance of caution, you know, where you won't see us today. And my mom said, Oh good, maybe he got COVID, so he will get antibodies that way. Which
3: that was the safer way to get them in her mind.
0: Which is so insane. Like that's not what antibodies are for, mom. Like you don't you don't get them to have them. They're not like Pokemon. Uh, where you just collect antibodies. <laughs> it was nice. it was so bizarre. Yeah. And uh just one of those mm hmm kinda of moments.
3: Yeah. And my story, I mean, all of the cliche um, fears that people have who are anti-vaxxers, like, you know, it somehow connects you to 5G or et cetera, et cetera. Like my family would believe those, but, and I don't know how to make this not the biggest downer in the world, but this is the most bizarre, unfortunate thing was when my dad was really ill with COVID. He asked my mom as he was laying in bed with really low oxygen, I was begging my mom to take him to the hospital. And he said, can you please get me the vaccine? Like in that moment was when he finally thought, you know, crap, I need this. And my mom had to say, that's not how they work. You know, up until then, they had their argument with me was, you know, we're smart people too. Just because we didn't go to college doesn't mean that we don't also read up on these things. And then in that moment, you know, I'm kind of surprised my mom even told me that story because it revealed so much to me of like, yes, they were reading a lot, mm-hmm. but they had no understanding at all. Like, my dad, at least, had no even basic understanding of how a vaccine would work. He thought it was like a treatment.
2: Well, I guess one kudo to your mom for knowing that that's not how vaccines work and mm-hmm. being right.
1: <laughs> and two kudos yeah. for your dad for being willing to get it, even if at the wrong time.
0: I mean, he since changed his mind again, and now it doesn't. Oh yeah, like now it they
1: still,
3: it you know, they don't need a vaccine now because they already got it, and they proved that you know it's not deadly, and they have their immunity now. So,
1: oh right, the antibodies. It's yeah.
2: not mm-hmm. deadly, so how bad it was didn't matter.
3: Uh, yeah,
1: not anymore because he
3: survived it. So, who got lucky? Yeah. Which is true, but also you could follow that up with a vaccine.
1: Yeah, that must have been so scary. It was Um, frustrating. And before we chat about the vaccine trials that you guys participated in, tell us a little about yourself. And like I said before, you can go totally secret agent and like come up with your own pseudonyms, or you can use your full name, whatever you're comfortable with.
3: I'm Lindsay. I was a public school school music teacher for 11 years. Then I had my kids, and I decided to be a stay-at-home parent. And my background is a bachelor's degree in music education and a master's degree in education and curriculum instruction. I love cats.
2: Out of curiosity, when did you decide to stay at home?
3: When I was on maternity leave, I started dreading going back to work. And then I got lucky enough that the teacher who had been subbing for me, I asked him, I said, would you be willing to go part time and and keep half of my job? And he said, yeah, that works for me. So then I worked half time for a whole school year. And that gave me the opportunity to test out what does it feel like to drop my kid off at daycare and go to work? And what does it feel like to be at home with him? And at the end of it, I just knew I wanted to be home with him more than I wanted to be teaching.
4: Hmm.
1: It's such a nice way to kind of experiment with these are the different options. This is what it would be like.
3: Yeah.
0: And then COVID did move your timeline up quite a bit.
3: Yeah. As I was teaching half time, mm-hmm. COVID happened in March, and then I was teaching remote at home half time.
0: Yeah. And then day, our daycare just.
3: And our daycare completely kind of just shut down. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I remember that actually, because Lindsay, you were like, I have to keep my windows open at school, even though it's March and cold in Minnesota. And I was like, does that actually do anything? And it turns out that ventilation actually super matters. Mm-hmm. But that was at the stage where we were all like, we need to wash hands, you know, yes. just yes. didn't know much about it. Mm-hmm. David, how about you?
0: Uh, hi, I'm uh, David. Uh, I am a full-time software developer. Uh, I have an undergrad degree in uh, management information systems.
3: I want to emphasize that we're both like middle-class boring white people who like have undergrad degrees and like had to work really hard to research and find information about like COVID in general and vaccines. And like, that's why I kind of wanted to like state our levels of education because the whole process of going through clinical trials was fascinating to me. Like what kind of abilities you need for technical reading Um, your social connections, the kind of job you have, all of those affect whether or not you can even participate in a trial.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So you're obviously privileged in ways that lower some barriers. Yeah. And yet, like you said, it was a challenge.
3: Yeah. And I guess now that you say that, I also want to say, we always say this phrase, like we've done the research. And my parents say that too. And like the fact is we have not researched we are simply reading other people's research or what they are presenting as <laughs> research. That he came back. Thanks, Wooly Bear. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> he emphasizes. Yeah. So, a big part of our journey with clinical trials was that we had parents who completely ignored all of the scientific evidence and public health information that was available to them. And we had to decide how much we were going to continue engaging with them and seeing them, knowing that the kind of risks that they took were not what we would take mm. in with our lives. And then especially with our boys, like do we let them see our children if they're not taking any COVID precautions? And we knew that that would essentially break our relationship with our parents. And because that is such a significant decision to make, we did, I did like a genuinely crazy amount of reading like I had to talk about it with my therapist because I would spend like hours each night looking at research articles finding people on social media like epidemiologists and public health scientists trying to make sure like are we making the right decision and in that process of course stumbling over tons of misinformation wow or thankfully seeing social media accounts of epidemiologists who would say hey I see this totally inaccurate, you know, false information floating around. Here's why it's not correct. And then they would debunk it. When I say like we did our own research, it was really just.
0: I mean, it's the same thing we did. We consumed social media. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's what we did, but it was like the the good stuff. Like, I don't know, like being able to to vet the people a little bit, look at their background, understand, oh, here's your credentials and
3: here's where you got your education here's who's funding your research where you work Mm -hmm. are other people in a science community in agreement with you is there any kind of consensus does it align with like public health messaging that we're hearing from the CDC? we just did tons and tons of reading because for me i needed that affirmation that i was making the right decision and i think if we hadn't been dealing with that relationship situation. There's no way I would have done that much reading. I would have just been saying like, well, what does the CDC say? And then like, yeah,
1: all right, go with that.
3: Um, yeah, we went above and beyond what they tell you to do.
1: And that process you're describing that does not come naturally, you know. So when someone says, "Oh, I did my research," like you said, that can mean a lot of different things. I looked at Wikipedia. I typed something into Google. Or more frequently, I looked something up and cherry-picked the information that supports my preconceived idea.
2: I checked it out on Breitbart, and here's the real truth that they don't want you to know.
1: Yes. Mm -hmm. And knowing that you're educated and you value public health, were you kind of going in with an awareness of, hey, these are my biases and you know, what does it take to kind of break past that and really approach this with an open mind?
0: Yeah. I would say constantly. We were so concerned about being right. <laughs> like, and maybe that's like really type A firstborn stuff, but that we like had to dig in and understand um and really vet who we were listening to and what our sources were, just because our our parents were constantly coming out at us with this stuff. And like, so half the job was debunking the garbage they were throwing at us, but then being super paranoid that the stuff that we weren't consuming was in turn garbage, you know, because like we were basically following Instagram influencers, right? Like highly credentialed influencers, Uh but you know, like in the back of your mind, you know, there's always potentially economic incentives for, you know, getting views and everything. And so, Just being really paranoid about being right, I think, drove us to, I
4: don't
0: know, just look into the 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 backgrounds of these people and make sure that they were trustworthy.
1: Sucks that you have to approach it with that level of fear, but you understand the stakes, and you understand, you know, the information out there is just, it's just not clear cut because even you know the most credible sources that we could consult, the CDC, for instance,
4: mm-hmm.
1: they've changed recommendations. Yes. yes, They have walked back certain recommendations. And this is not me saying the CDC is not credible, but it's just acknowledging I can get why people get skeptical.
2: It is not a common thing outside of the circle of scientists to understand the scientific process.
1: Which like- requires changing and adapting as you get more information
2: exactly you know it's the opposite of politics where you take information and you fit it to your your understanding science is new information comes up you reassess your understanding to fit the information and so like you know with something that's completely new like coronavirus was new information was coming out faster than we could Really get a handle on it. You know, every nation in the world had different approaches. Most of them were wrong at the beginning. About like, should we panic about what's happening in China? Boy, I'm glad it's there and not here.
1: Yeah, guilty. Mm-hmm.
3: And I'm thinking about when you're talking about the CDC having to shift its guidance based on its new information that it's getting not only do the general population have to understand that, they also have to understand that they're balancing like individual health versus truly public health. And I was listening to a podcast by Dr. Osterholm, and he was one of the advisors to the Biden team. And he said that he was a part of the team that was talking and giving input on well, how long should we say you have to isolate after you have a positive test and he said he just point blank said, "We chose five days because our hospitals would have collapsed if we had chosen less than that. I misspoke it would collapse if we chose more than that,
2: and probably the other two because gonna spread, <laughs> yeah, more cases
0: than, yeah,
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah." And it, you know, that's not at all based on how long you're contagious or anything like that. So not only are you having to give grace to the CDC for the fact that it's changing its guidelines according to the changing data that it's getting, but you also then have to look at their guidelines and somehow as an individual parse out, okay, well, that's what that means for the hospital system in the U.S. What does it mean for my individual family?
0: Which is, brings to light the impossible task, right? How do you pick the the right one, right? They picked they picked five. Who knows if that was right?
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I I do want to ask too about where this originated for you, because if I understand correctly, you got the initial COVID vaccine, but you were in the trial for this booster that's just come out. Is that right?
0: The booster prior to this one, so not the the bivalent COVID one, the the one that Europe got.
3: It's just BA.1. So the original Omicron variant. That's Mm. the trial that we entered into. Whole family? Just David and I were in the Omicron booster study. Mm. And our youngest son, who is 20 months right now, he was in the trials for the original vaccine for children. And he was the first one in it. So we knew we wanted to vaccinate our kids. We were desperately waiting for any kind of data. And they kept on pushing the timelines. If you remember, you know they would say, oh, it's coming out in September. And then Pfizer would make an announcement. And, oh, it's not until November.
0: We we actually turned down an opportunity to join the studies oh, yeah, that's right. earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I forget the exact timelines, but we were under the assumption of vaccines would be here for our kids in two or three months. Mm -hmm. And at that time, we were like, Okay, the blood draws are going to be traumatic, Mm -hmm. you know, Uh, our kids like the doctor so far, like, let's not (laughs) give them a reason not to, Uh, which in hindsight seems ridiculous. So ridiculous. Um, And of course, those dates, uh, it was nine months more after that. Um, Mm -hmm. and,
3: And they were getting increasingly frustrated that we were having to wait so long and mm-hmm. kicking ourselves. Like, why didn't we take the chance to get them in the trials? Because round one of the trials is where they figure out dosing. So for sure your kid gets the real vaccine, but they're testing out what doses they're at, which is also part of our hesitation. Cause we were like, Oh, what if they get a really high fever from too high of a dose?
0: Like that was before we had done really any research. At that point like we didn't yeah i don't think we had a good uh, understanding of the vaccines um yeah. at yeah. that point and so that that first decision was kind of made in, in ignorance
3: mm-hmm. it was and then we realized that as time went on like you know the side effects from vaccines are only temporary there's nothing you know lasting about them when you're looking at a dosing a dosage phase one trial um and so then So then we reached out to the trial. What do I want to call it? Coordinator Coordinator, and said, Hey, we really regret this. Can we, any chance you still have openings? And at that time, the age group for our older son had closed and, but they still had spots for the six month to two-year-olds. And so we were like, yes, okay, we want a spot. Let's get in. And by that time, they had determined what dosage level was most effective and had the least amount of side effects. And so then it was just a matter of you're either going to get a, a 25, what is it, microgram dose of the Moderna vaccine, or you'll get a placebo and you'll have to do two blood draws. And so we just said like, yes, let's jump at the chance. And it was a 70% chance of getting the real thing, 30% chance of getting placebo. And we didn't know what we had. He had a teeny tiny rash on his leg, like one day afterwards, after one of the doses. Otherwise, we couldn't tell at all. And then when the data from the trials finally came in and the FDA approved it, then you get unblinded and we found out he had been placebo.
1: Oh, bummer. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Um, But during that time, when I brought him in for one of the appointments to get, I think, his second dose, we didn't know if it was a dose of placebo or not. They said, "Oh, by the way, we're doing trials for adults for the Omicron booster. Do you want to be in it?" And as they're, you know, as you have your baby laying there, like getting blood draws, of course you're like, "Well, I can't sign my kid up for this and not sign us up." <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so then we immediately said yes. So that's how we got into the study.
2: Clever move on their part. <laughs>
4: oh,
1: Play on and, your parental guilt.
3: Yeah, and that was part of like round one of why we said, like, "Oh no, like." We're not ready to join a phase one trial. Part of it also was like, would we have signed ourselves up for a trial? And
0: We absolutely would
3: now. But at the time, we were like, oh, I don't know. I don't think I would have signed up for a trial. So is it like moral or ethical to like sign your child up for something that you wouldn't be willing to do? Hmm. Now, having gone through it, I would absolutely do a trial again.
0: The part I'm kind of curious about is over the months and as the vaccines for kids kept getting more delayed and more delayed. I don't know how much of our growth and understanding was anything we did, or if it was just lots of other people became frustrated in the same way that we were. And so more information about it was just produced, and the great algorithm gave it to us, right?
1: Yeah, I. it's totally fair, though, that at first, you didn't have enough information. To make a decision. And then you did have enough information. And that speaks to the informed consent process, too. When you were initially approached with this trial opportunity, how was it framed for you? Did you feel like you had a good sense of the pros and cons, risks?
3: I want to back up just a little bit and say that the, the only reason we found out about the children's trial was through a friend whose wife works at the trial site. Hmm. And he you know said like, hey, I know you guys are COVID cautious. My wife is running a trial for kids. You could see if you can get into it. So right off the bat, there's like the first barrier about like whether or not you participate in trials. We knew that man, we knew his wife, we felt comfortable with them. We know their education levels. We know them on a personal level. We know that they would never participate in something that was nefarious or negligent. But then after that, they send you a, you know, so we say, sure, we'll talk to her, please send us information. And you get a big packet of information that is very it's like much a small
2: book, right?
3: Yeah. 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 I want to say it was like 25 ish pages long, double-sided, you know, size twelve font. And it's from the actual research company. So like ours was, it was clear that Moderna had written the document Uh and it was very technical language. You had to read it several times to wrap your head around like, okay, so if your kid is in cohort one, they have this many blood draws and they draw this amount and here's their chance of placebo versus non-placebo. And all of it is in really technical language.
1: No pictures? Yeah, no, no, not a (laughs)
3: single picture. I mean, at least
1: make a video, right? I have to ask, did you read it? Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Because I wouldn't blame you if you didn't. Like, I can see how information coming to you in that format automatically is going to create a barrier for some people. Yes. Like yeah. I said, you both are very well educated, and yet it sounds like you found it dense and.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I'm sure it was written for the courtroom.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yep. 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 They're definitely okay. yeah covering their butts a little bit in it.
3: Yeah. Um, this the paperwork that we read is the same paperwork they turn into the FDA. Yeah.
0: So. Which is not bad. Like yes, please tell me, you know, mm-hmm. exhaustively all of the potential outcomes of this trial. But it, it's it was hard to put in perspective. Like, you know, outcome is fever. Well, what does that actually mean? High hmm. fever. Okay. Well. What are the odds of that? Well, you don't know yet because it's a trial. So there's a little unknown in there and a lot of scary medical terms, too.
1: So was it for potential participants or was it just like, oh, here's a here's a legal document that has to do with this trial. Take a look at it if you want. Was there any communication that was like directly for people like you trying to decide, do I do this?
3: That was it. Like we said, hey, we're interested. What is the information that you can give us? And that was the document we were given. But there wasn't any, like, like you said, like pictures or like a little tutorial video that the research program that we went through put together. The, you know, It was, here's this giant packet. Read through it. Let me know if you have questions. I will answer your questions. And then you tell me yes or no if you want into this trial. Hmm. So we were able to ask questions. And... They were always able to answer them thoroughly and in layperson terms
0: yeah the just sort of the logistics of it though the the office here where we live is is not like the scientist branch of of the whole thing that's you know that was moderna doing it there so it was more of we were asking the administrative people questions which was super helpful for a certain class of questions But for another class of questions, you know, they aren't the researchers. Hmm. So they Mm -hmm. they couldn't really speak to that.
1: Not to Uh, mention you have to know what questions to ask in the first place. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah.
2: So this is a little
1: bit of a sidetrack,
2: but definitely related. Did either of you ever do a practice study? No. No. No? Oh, okay.
3: You did, didn't you?
2: I did like. (laughs) 12 or 15 of them
3: (laughs) money in college right how did you approach that as like a as a very young adult
1: in because it was an undergrad right yep and for our listeners who don't get the regional reference praxis
2: they do i believe it's phase two clinical trials which is
3: efficacy essentially right
2: efficacy um technically bioavailability so i think that they did a number of like comparing brand name to generic they did clinical trials for fda approval of new medications coming on the market i asked because i've got a lot of familiarity with all of the informed consent like this is what they ask you this is what they need to know this is what you gotta sign and Initial and date the bottom of every damn page, because that's what the FDA needs to see
1: to be fair, you had a bit of an invincibility complex, oh boy, when yeah. you were in college <laughs>
0: <laughs> i think I think the institute knows that, and that's why they set up you know, that's
1: why town. they are in a college town one hundred percent, but did you so what about you? Did you read through this stuff, or was it mostly? A QA with a real live human. What was that typically like for you?
2: Uh, so, on the intake for crack studies, it's, you know, a human walks through it and you have, you can't say yeah, you can't say uh huh, you have to say yes or no. Wow. It's super regimented in that way. The paperwork for what you are consenting to has sections that are completely not of interest to you mm-hmm. and then you'll know, get to like side effects Ooh, let's see what we got here what <laughs> we got uh, <laughs> uh, diarrhea okay that's nice um,
1: you did get to do like a morphine thing once though you kind of dug was, that didn't you uh no oh
2: it was actually probably like naloxone something like that huh. that's a uh, opioid blocker Yep. And um, it was in the less pleasant of my studies. You've never because, been able to
1: look at beef stew the same again. Oh,
2: boy. Yeah. Oh. I, I had the actual drug instead of placebo, and uh, they fed you beef stew. I was just like, oh, that's great. it's great. I, I think I could be wrong. I think that part of it was that, you know, they had to give you morphine. And then they gave you a naloxone or whatever. And there wasn't really a a happy time from morphine. But like the naloxone, like I I remember laying down and like my head was doing this and my stomach was doing this. And I was just like, whoa, earning my money this time.
1: Gesturing by making a spiral motion with his hands.
2: Swirly move with my hands. (laughs) Right.
1: Okay, but I'm curious.
3: We joined a trial because we wanted protection for our children and for ourselves then, you know, with the Omicron booster. Like, it was so motivating, like, the health of our children. Why did you join a trial? Money. Yeah. Okay. That's why they... Right? Like, money. That's the whole
2: thing. They were looking for healthy subjects. They were looking for healthy participants yeah. to do these studies. And you know, the benefit you get isn't like a vaccine trial where you actually get a health benefit.
1: Benefit. Yeah. yeah.
2: It's you know Lab rats. You you rent your body out, and sure, they'll feed you and house you and um and then they'll pay you at the end.
1: Which is it's good that they pay you, but I can also see how inequitable that could be because people who need that money are maybe going to disregard some legitimate risks. Were you guys paid?
0: uh, Not yet, but you do get paid. You do get paid,
3: which to be honest, to me feels kind of icky, especially like for our son. Like mm -hmm, mm -hmm. this is not at all why I'm doing it. And, you know, we can put it into a savings account and he can have access to it. Right. Um, But
0: the thought of, like, spending it on, you know, pizza delivery is like, what? That's, it feels (laughs) so listed. Well, yeah.
3: Thanks, son. And, like, looking at, for you, Ben, like, you could say, like, I'm a college student. I can give a weekend of my time, earn some money, and it doesn't interfere with my classes. Maybe, like, the majority of the time. Right? Largely, yeah. Yeah, And for us, like going to a clinical trial, I don't understand who can participate in this besides people who are essentially like upper middle class with jobs that are so flexible because I'm a stay-at-home mom. I could make an appointment anytime, drive my child in, and David works from home. And so we take turns flip-flopping. Okay, you go to the trial site first. When you get back, you watch the kids and I'll go. Mm -hmm. The amount of flexibility and privilege we had even to participate, that immediately takes away a giant pool of the population who is oh, never going to participate in a trial. Or to, could
0: or, participate. Or, yeah, sorry, right. could. Yeah, like could. in the case of the, the COVID studies and the medical upside, like there's a benefit that just isn't available to, to, to people. To a
3: whole bunch of people, yeah. Yeah. And Abby, you were saying that for a certain population of people they might really need like the money and be willing to overlook some significant side effects or or associated risks. And there's also the flip side, you know.
1: Yes. Yes.
3: You would think it would be more profound to have a vaster range of socioeconomic populations, racial populations, right? The barriers to getting into a trial you would think have to then affect results in some way and in my yeah. mind i'm like i think the vaccine trials would have been even better right because people in lower socioeconomic settings were often the essential workers mm. who were out there getting coped and working class we like in a way feel kind of guilty you know we got these vaccines and we just stayed home in our bubble so like our data didn't even really measure to the extent it could have you know had that spot been given to someone else whose child was in a daycare setting or who cleaned hospital rooms you know does that make sense
1: totally it comes back to how do you design a trial to be equitable Mm -hmm. and that conflicting with the speed of we got to get this done we got to get this available yeah i i'm glad i don't do research in that particular realm (laughs)
2: Mm-hmm. yeah and i think that there's an awful lot of institutional inertia on that because i mean what was it it can't be more than like a couple of decades that the pharmaceutical industry was kind of like oh maybe medicines affect men and women differently yes. like it was initially designed to be very practical for the researchers like at a at a university You can rope in students for a study for extra credit. It costs you nothing, and you get a lot out of it. This is why, but you get all people of a certain age were created. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You get people of a certain age. You don't get people who are not interested in college. The population.
1: Do you have any thoughts about how it could have been done differently? To get that wider participation,
3: my first thought is they're only you know their hours are was it seven to three or something right? So like mm-hmm. evening and weekend hours to have the research site open,
0: and transportation too. But Ooh. so like you did get reimbursed mm-hmm. uh, with like a a gas station
1: gift
4: card
0: gift card, um, which mm-hmm. presumably would would pay. That's the transport they're paying if for. If you
1: have a car. Yeah, yes.
0: right. If, mm-hmm. you, if you, you have a car money. and you have a Super America by you, you know, like if they would call the Uber to your house yeah. that takes you there, that would have been way more mm-hmm.
3: helpful. And you have a public transportation voucher instead of a gas card, a gas gift card. Hmm.
0: Or just, you know, bring the study to your house. Like hmm.
3: have
0: the, yeah. the, the worker, the, the MP or whatever come to your house.
3: You can do blood draws too. and give vaccines at home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It blows my mind that, you know, the only reason we really heard about it was through a friend and it's on their website. Who is going around Googling for, you know, research institutions trying to find studies to participate in? I, I don't know what the ethics are of spending money to advertise or put up little hmm. flyers with tearaway, you know, numbers <laughs> or something yeah. like, but how can you get... Even the information
0: out. Facebook ads. (laughs) (laughs)
3: Yeah. I'm laughing just because, like, Facebook destroyed your parents. Like, oh, no. How would they? Yeah.
0: One of the things they could also change is you don't get paid until the very end, which there's probably reasons for that, but that's not helpful for someone who needs to make rent. Graduated payment.
1: I like how you're describing both logistical things that could make it more accessible and also acknowledging the human side of it right in terms of you learned about it through someone you knew and trusted and i think for a lot of communities essentially a stranger coming in with the the white coat clipboard kind of set up that is not conducive to trusting that situation and thereby missing out on a potentially very real benefit. So in terms of the communication around the trial, it seems like one point of intervention could be getting the word out about it in the first place and like being creative about the venues for getting that message out. But also, like we were talking about with the informed consent piece. Say you learned about the trial, but how are you going to feel informed enough to make the decision that's right for you. And on that side, I'm curious too, what could have helped in your case. I mean, yeah, maybe you want the dense booklet for transparency purposes, but for practical purposes. is there something else that could have helped you feel more confident in your decision?
0: I think having somebody not paid by moderna uh, explain it to us uh, went a long ways well and actually several people. Here's how the studies work. Here's what the real risks are. And then just the vaccine in general, um, where the, the economic incentives were more clear and seemed uh, more in our favor. Yes. I think that helped a lot.
3: Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, too, the first opportunity ha- we had was for our, our child. Mm-hmm. And as a mom, I was thinking about, you know, like wondering, like, how traumatizing is it? And to have known another parent who was also in the trial or had gone through something like that, or even seeing a video maybe yeah. of a child getting a blood draw. I had never seen oh. a baby get a blood draw before, you know, he was really young. And even just that reassurance of seeing a child around my kid's age go through an appointment mm-hmm. would have been so comforting to like, okay, that's what it looks like. You go to these rooms. That's how you hold the baby when the baby gets its blood drawn, you know, because otherwise your anxious mind starts swirling and projecting and picturing like when they do the blood draw, they probably have to strap a Velcro strap around every limb and around their head and the child is screaming and they won't let you be in the room. You know, like that's where my brain was going. And in reality, like he sat and like his torso was against my torso and I hugged him And there were two nurses, and one had like stickers, and a little Daniel Tiger video was playing. And the other nurse did the blood draw, and she was the one who her previous job was drawing blood from mice in labs. And I'm like, well, if you can hit a mouse vein, (laughs) you can hit my baby's vein. And she did. It was, you know, like it was it was quick. Did he like it? No, he cried, and his body, you know, like he stiffened his body, like no, like he obviously didn't like it. But it was so much less scary for both him and me, than I pictured it being. And so I, yeah. So how could I have gotten past that? Seeing another family go through it, even if it was in a video. Now, if it was like a gross, old, cheap looking promotional video for Moderna, you know, like mm. would I have believed it?
0: Yeah. It would have to come from the right source. Yeah. Like it would have to come from, like you said, another mom being like, okay, come with me. Here's what it looks like.
3: This is why I love talking about our experience and why I'm happy to be on this podcast. I tell everyone that, you know, we were in these trials and we would do it again. And I, I think I will. I get invites now, like in my email. And
0: it's the second there's an RSV vaccine. Yeah, there's an <laughs> RSV vaccine mm.
3: trial right now, but it's only for age 65 and older.
4: Yeah.
0: I
3: believe. Yeah. But yeah, so it's we would totally true, do it so. again. But I just needed to know someone who had been through it.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and some of like I the Twitterverse was helpful there too because there was like moms giving their experience with it and you know and describing in you know whatever it is 42 characters or less what their experience was
3: i joined twitter specifically for an account from an anonymous woman but it was all about like parents who had kids in the trials and so you could ask questions of them how did it go for your kid what should i expect how long do the appointments
1: take and it was so oh that's brilliant
3: and comforting Hmm.
1: And that seems like such a productive use of social media for health information. Yeah. Because that is the kind of perspective that only another patient or only another participant can give. Mm
4: -hmm.
2: Actually, social media.
0: Yeah. I mean, my understanding and, I don't know, opinion of social media has changed so much through this experience. Like, I was super Mm -hmm. critical when. You know, like Lindsay first came to me and was like, "Here's this lady on Instagram talking to me." I'm like, "Oh, you know, Instagram influencer is giving you, yeah, medical tips, right?" But like, I, I mean, not—it's good to be skeptical, but we found it like an actually useful tool, um, which is not necessarily a narrative you hear where you know social media can be good and, and useful um especially when traditional media is so garbage and not useful these days uh to be able to find you know a uh, a source of hopefully good information um that was very relatable and, and humanized was i don't know this is not something you ex- you don't expect instagram to be that
1: yeah it's a different kind of credibility mm-hmm.
4: having put my child in a trial
3: and myself and my spouse in a trial it has made me actually so much more trusting of like pharmacological interventions and medicinal like medicine vaccines I and I'm surprised by that but I just like knowing the rigor of the trials the amount of information I have to submit to them every week is way more than I thought they ever collected if my youngest son Has a day where he seems off, and I have to give him a dose of ibuprofen. I have to record that with them. I have to say Mm -hmm. he had an off day, and I gave him a dose of this medicine on this date at this time. And they have this giant file of information that they can then look at and you know put together in a data set to find correlation or causation of side effects or long term issues. And knowing now all of the information that they do collect, it makes me trust all of the i don't know what do i say like medical products that are on the market yeah far more like truly
1: kind of reminds me of like if you think that there is widespread voter fraud go work an election yes. you know get You're trained as an judge. election judge and and
2: and then you'll know yeah
1: <laughs> and it also suggests that initially like You are far from being a science denier, right? And yet there is, there was that sense of distrust,
4: Mm -hmm. Um,
1: which, again, that's saying something that there are reasons, there are historical reasons to be suspicious. And yet those don't negate the very real benefits and protocols in place to make trials trustworthy nowadays. So, mm-hmm. I guess I'm just trying to say it's complicated. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. It kind of sounded to me like the the corporate and financial things were what what clouded
0: sources with distrust for you guys. I mean, yeah, that was a that was a big one. Like who's paying you to save this?
4: Uh-huh. If anybody,
0: right? Um a lot of the people that we ended up trusting uh, aren't getting paid mm-hmm. at all for it and you hmm. know are doing it in their free time.
1: Okay. So, you would do it again? Is any of your interest in clinical trials linked to that kind of bigger picture of this is how we contribute to society in general or was it largely individual?
3: It was for me, it was like the individual benefit. And, and, like, in hindsight, I'm very proud now to be participating. Like, I'm very I – mean, I'm super proud of it. It
0: started entirely being individual benefit.
3: Yeah. Um, Which, to me, would be, like, the motivating factor for most people to want to participate uh-huh. in trials.
0: Yeah. Either you if there, or a loved
3: one is affected by it. Yeah. People.
0: And if there, uh, yeah, if there hadn't been a pandemic, I we'd
3: never. never
0: have enrolled our, our kid in a, in a clinical trial.
3: Yeah. And now, yeah. knowing what we know, I would do it, yeah, for the – benefit of society at large and a little part of me is like i acknowledge that how do i say this i want to rebel against my parents essentially you know like they're part of a group of people that i would really like to move away from and the only way we can move away from the way they think and the choices they make is to push in the other direction, as hard as I can, and yeah. participating in the exact thing they don't believe in. I mean,
1: at least you saved the rebellion for adulthood. Yes, so yeah. Because <laughs> if you'd gotten it all out of your system as a teenager, who knows?
0: There's a little. There's a little left in the tank.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I've known Lindsay and David since high school, so I can attest to the fact that uh, you were not rebellious. <laughs> no, <laughs> not that I know. No, that all. I know of.
2: Do you feel like you are more civically minded now as a result of, I suppose there's the participating in the trial, but there's also the pandemic kind of had a very, we're all in this together.
4: Yes.
3: He, David, I'm just volunteering information about you now. Never got the flu shot before this. And now he's like... Well, it's not that
0: I never did. It was real spot. It was like, if
3: it was convenient. If they were like at work, I would get out of my cubicle and go get it. But he wouldn't go out of his way to go get it. And now he's like, what was I thinking? I have a
1: responsibility to children and elderly people and immune compromising. Yes. I was an idiot. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't gotten my flu shot yet for this year. And I also think I'm eligible for the new... Booster.
3: Are you three months out from your positive test? Um, mm, not quite,
1: no. actually. Then you are not yet. You might as well wait. You would be, though.
2: I probably would be.
1: Go get boosted.
2: My shot schedule started months before yours anyway, because oh. I was an essential worker at that time.
1: Uh-huh. Now you're inessential. Who needs you?
2: Uh, yeah, who needs power? <laughs> <laughs> That's not important. Electricity. electricity
1: yeah okay is there anything you would want to say to someone who's on the fence about getting vaccinated or getting boosted now that you've done all this reading processed all this information
3: this is where i hit a huge roadblock because i know those people well i
1: don't know people who are on the fence Mm -hmm. who are they
3: where are they i don't think they exist abby like that's where so, well, that's where my mind goes. I, like that's how cynical I am about it now.
0: No, I think you run into uh ambivalence, like me with the flu shop previously. You're you're gonna find people who it's inconvenient to, you know, take the time out of your day. It can knock you out for an entire day afterwards. Like, if you have to work a shift on Friday, you probably can't get it on Thursday. So where it is inconvenient. You
3: know David has a jam band that he has been trying to participate in, in socially distanced ways, which has been incredibly difficult where
0: we live. Played in the back, He played bass in the back of a minivan. We ran like a hundred foot cord out of this guy's basement so that I could sit in the back of our minivan in like January in Minnesota to, to play with them. Wow. And they had like uh, headphones
3: and like yeah. a video going. Yeah, and it was yeah. pretty
0: ridiculous.
3: But, but you did it for a reason. Oh, they didn't want to get boosted, was it? Or they got the J&J, and then they didn't want to go out and get an mRNA vaccine after that?
0: Uh, no. It wasn't that. It was... You told
3: them, I cannot come to Jam Band unless you get that dose, man. And he was like, ugh, okay. And went and got it. Hey,
1: social pressure for the win. Yeah, yeah. like,
3: you put into action was, you had someone who was on the fence, like, well, like, it's not convenient for me. And you're like, I'm not going to hang out with you until you do it.
1: Yeah.
0: Just not a great position to be in, but like, I, I, no part of me liked that.
1: No, but no. you have every reason to set that boundary because you've got young kids at home.
3: Yeah, who at the time weren't vaccinated. And
0: Yeah, yeah. which, I mean, he totally understood, and yeah. there was no resistance at all to the idea of doing it. And he even like went out of his way. He's like, well, which one do you want me to get? And I was like, oh my okay, God. Definitely, definitely go get this one. And so he had to like drive to the airport and go get it. But... <laughs>
3: So social pressure is your answer.
0: I don't know. Even a a recommendation as you think would be so straightforward as like, yes, go get boosted. It sucks that it's so complicated, right? Mm -hmm. Because like for some people, that's just not feasible. They're not in every
2: pharmacy.
3: You have to schedule ahead of time. I was
2: bringing our oldest to get, um, we were going to go get a flu shot and her booster. We got there and... The pharmacist was like, oh, yeah, we don't have the one for kids here and you probably will need to go to this store and you'll need to make a reservation. And
1: Which we did. But again, like that's an inconvenience. (sighs) And I, I think that's a great point is to isolate where is the resistance coming from? Is it purely logistical? If that's the case, what can you do to support people? If it's more ideological, that's I think mm-hmm. what you're getting at, Lindsay, w- yeah. which is much harder to break through. Mm-hmm. Darn it! I thought you would have the answer. <laughs> <I
0: know>. <laughs> Sorry.
3: <laughs> <laughs> when I saw on your agenda that you were going to ask that question, I was like, "I let me know when someone comes up with that answer."
4: Yeah, I
0: mean, yeah.
3: We have. You if know, you have, have
0: the means to go get vaccinated, go do it. Like it's. Like Ben was saying, it's your civic duty to do so,
3: yeah.
0: go do it. I mean, it's mostly for you because of both how the vaccines work, but like, it's for, it's for vulnerable populations. It's like, you get it so that the guy who like, can't miss the shift of work, if he's not going to get it, like you are giving him some of that protection. So
1: yeah.
0: that, that's why you should do it. Uh, it's, it's a thousand percent civic mindedness. Yeah.
1: Is there anything else you want to share? Or you?
0: I
2: do. Since I since I've got you guys here. Um <laughs> now being home more, is there anything that you guys have done hobby wise or personal interest wise that is
1: That you get nerdy about?
2: That you Yes.
3: I mean, I shared mine before, which was You know, researching COVID and vaccines and things like that. Like, I actually had to talk to my therapist about, like, this can't be your hobby, Lindsay. You can't spend (laughs) two to three nights, hours a night reading research papers. And beyond that, what do I do? I play in a symphony and I'm starting that in the end of October again.
1: Can you two somehow figure out how to meld bass guitar and viola and like create (laughs) a jam band of your own?
3: I keep on telling him that his jam band needs to learn, like, 70s, <laughs> golden 70s songs, and I would be their singer. I would do that. If
4: you coladas, get caught
3: in the rain. A vocalist! Yeah, I'd be a vocalist. Sure. Nice. I'm such a boring, classically trained musician that I'm like, I don't... I have to have music in front of me on the page to play my viola. So... But I would be your singer. What about you, David?
0: I've been trying to finish our detached garage into a wood shop. So that wow. uh, I'm going to try and build guitars.
3: So you wired it for all the electricity, all the yep. outlets.
0: passed my city inspection, mm-hmm. county inspection. Um, Very cool. putting up sheetrock now. I did, I did all the insulation and everything, so... It's been uh, a lot of YouTubing to figure out. I'm not a very handy person, so to figure
4: all of that out.
1: Tactical, technical communication.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: All right. Well, thank you so much. Again, it was great to chat with you. Yeah, thank yeah. you for having us. Yeah, this absolutely. was great.